Hello, and welcome to Unbabbled, a podcast that navigates the world of special education, communication delays, and learning differences. We are your hosts, Stephanie Landis and Meredith Krimmel, and we are certified speech and language pathologists who spend our days at the parish school in Houston, helping children find their voices and connect with the world around them. Today, we'll be speaking with Jessica Brock, an elementary educator at the parish school who specializes in inquiry-based learning, also known as project-based learning. Jessica piloted the inquiry-based learning method at the parish school and recently spoke at South by Southwest Education and the Houston branch of the International Dyslexia Association Conference to help other educators implement project-based learning in classrooms with children who have learning differences. If you're unfamiliar with some of the terminology we use, make sure to check out our episode notes. Welcome, Jessica. We're so happy to have you here talking with us today. Hi, I'm happy to be here too. So we're here today talking about inquiry-based learning. For our listeners, can you give them just a quick description about what inquiry-based learning is? Sure. Uh, Inquiry-based learning essentially puts the um, ownership of learning into the children's hands. Uh, That is then structured and guided, or as we like to say, facilitated by the teacher. So All inquiry units have the same general platform. They might not follow the same general theme, though. So it'll start with an inquiry question, like what is community? That's what our um, entire elementary program has been working on this year. Yeah. So it goes from an inquiry question then to an event where you kind of introduce the idea in a multisensory way. Then you have an exploratory and a research phase. Then you have the opportunity for the children to um, put out a public product that they receive feedback and have an opportunity to reflect. And student voice and choice is a really big part of inquiry-based learning. Interesting. So you say that it starts with a question. Is Mm -hmm. this a question that you develop or that the kids develop themselves? It depends. So if we're thinking about how Parish launches inquiry-based learning across all Um, the entire elementary program. Realistically, if you're in primary, the inquiry question is probably going to come from the teacher. And And primary is our like first and second and some kinder classrooms. Yes, five to seven year olds. Yes. And often we start in upper elementary. So the um, third, fourth, fifth grade. The nine to 11 year old. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Um, We start with the um, inquiry question being given to them. The language of inquiry is often difficult, and since this is new, uh, giving them that question at the beginning helps them start the wondering and the curiosity, and oftentimes then you can change the inquiry question based off of where your students are going. Like Laura Jackson, a teacher in the um, lower t- elementary, yeah, in the lower elementary, in the, the seven class. to nine year old class. <laughs> yes. She um, has been focusing on sound and her students were so interested in sound that her inquiry question changed based off of what they were interested in into um, how can we show how we feel with sound. Yeah. Oh, Which cool. has been so, really interesting to watch develop from yeah. the like, pragmatic side of it For to go sure. into the science and the language. Yeah. Pragmatic language is the use of language. So it was a that's a great question that um, who gives the driving question. Oftentimes it starts with the teacher and then kind of um, molds with what the students are interested in, the trajectory that they're taking the inquiry. Very cool. What got you interested in inquiry-based learning? Um, honestly... <laughs> It's hard teaching kids with speech and language differences and learning disabilities Mm -hmm. Um, a curriculum in uh, the specific way that, like in our math curriculum, when they 
differentiate it, it still isn't enough differentiation or um, enough interest and engagement for the students. And so for me, it was about how do I find a curriculum and a platform that is engaging and interesting to my students, but still teaches them the content that they need to know. So making it their disability or their disorder isn't the issue, it's the accessibility. So how do I make this content accessible to them? And inquiry-based learning, in my experience, has been the easiest, the um, most engaging and most like parishy way. And by parishy, I mean it's multi-sensory, it's um, driven by the student, so it's whole child. Um, yeah, it's really fun. I love also that it gives the opportunity for children to play to their strengths Mm. because Mm -hmm. we have children that have so many wonderful strengths that just don't always get a chance to be shown because typically the end-based project is a multiple choice test or a written essay that is really difficult and doesn't really allow our kids a way to express all the wonderful knowledge they have in their head. For sure, for sure. Um, And one of the things that I have really enjoyed is um, some of the not directly taught, but that come out of inquiry-based learning (laughs) are things like collaboration, communication, um, creativity, critical thinking, all of these executive function areas that are really hard for our kids that often teachers will avoid or teach in isolation And with inquiry-based learning, then it switches to, well, what if your entire day is about your executive functions and about, like you were saying, Stephanie, the strengths-based? What are you good at? What do you need to work on? Mm -hmm. And how can your curriculum help you? Can you tell us a little bit about what inquiry-based learning looks like in our classrooms? Yeah. Yeah. So um, we stick to the parish model of being multi-sensory and engaging. And so... If we're talking about the overarching question, um, I'm going to use one of the inquiry units from last year to kind of show an example of what it might look like. Great. Uh, we had chickens. And so yes. it, we were learning about life cycles. And so the entry event was we got chickens, chicken eggs, and an incubator. And we had um, – it's a great company called The Garden Hen, and they have written a curriculum – And they come and visit. So Farmer Mike and his wife, Farmer Nicole, came and visited our class and talked to the kids. And so they're getting the um, introduction of an expert. And they also have the materials with the actual eggs that were in an incubator. And so that's the entry event that then we get to. They're asking so many questions, right? Farmer Mm -hmm. Mike and Farmer Nicole brought their pine cone Um, pine cone was a chicken so they brought their uh, therapy chicken pine cone and the kids are asking so many questions about it and we're writing them down as they're asking them it's not a structured lesson where you're like all right now we're going to sit down and ask questions yeah um what is naturally coming up for them so what does pine cone eat what does pine cone do and then thinking about the eggs well how long are they in the incubator for what does the incubator do just all these questions that are coming from the immersion experience not from any structured lesson and so then after that we have all of their questions up and we can start to categorize them getting into the speech and language of it is Mm -hmm. what's about chickens what's about eggs what's about pine cone just separating things into categories and then um, we can start to research them either as a class or individually and then after um, 
after they had finished their research in my class, they did a, a PowerPoint presentation, and they were super proud of it. They presented it for um, the upper elementary, the other upper elementary class, and some lower elementary. At Grandparents' Day, they chose to present it then. They chose to mm-hmm. um, record it for their parents. Like, they just wanted to share it with everyone because That's they awesome. were so, yeah, they were so excited and enthusiastic about it. Um, and then once the eggs hatched, we had the chicks in our class for like two or three weeks. And so that was another opportunity to ask more questions, do some experiments. We had our service dog and the the <laughs> chicks meet, and Aww. we saw what happened there. We made some guesses. We built um, a little maze for the chick, and we're trying to figure out how to make it go through the maze. And, well, maybe food will help it go through the maze, or maybe um, – uh, one of the kids was saying, maybe if you kind of push it at first. So <laughs> just uh, the, well, what if you did this? What if you did that? Mm-hmm. Um, building in that resilience, the uh, possibility thinking. Um, yeah, it was really fun. And is your whole day structured around this? Or do you have certain times of the day where you focus on a little bit more of those underlying core skills necessary to delve into reading and writing and that? Yeah, so the, our morning is still a typical day, the pre-inquiry launch, where we have individualized reading groups and then individualized math groups. And then, um, you know, we still have the arts and sciences. Mm-hmm. And so in my class, at least, the rest of the time is devoted to inquiry-based learning. And we use that as like an umbrella term. So even when the speech pathologist is in there, we call it inquiry-based learning mm-hmm. because... There's so much language involved in inquiry-based learning that everything we're doing is supporting that. Mm-hmm. So we know our kids need a lot of direct teaching to learn concepts. How do you build that in but still keep the process of inquiry-based learning true to what it is? Yeah, great question. So um, we actually just had a talk at South by Southwest and HBIDA where this was our entire focus, and the HBIDA is a dyslexia conference. Um, and so our entire focus was... Uh, when we implemented inquiry-based learning, we noticed that there were some difficulties. And we didn't want to stop there because the things that were difficult for them are what are most important for them. Mm -hmm. When we're talking about um, language, uh, the collaboration aspect, um, critical thinking, making sure to incorporate all the academic content. So all those are our core focus anyways, so we didn't want to give up. And so we started trying strategies and found that a lot of them work and that a lot of them, the language strategies that we already use can be adapted into an inquiry-based learning unit. Um, And so what often happens is you start with more teacher-led research, particularly um, if you're thinking about the younger students at Parrish. It'll be a lot of whole group research that might not center on reading because one thing that we're having a lot of fun exploring is other kinds of research that Mm -hmm. you can research by observing. You can research by taking things apart. You can research by going places by uh, through virtual reality, which is super cool. Um, Having an expert come on campus. Exactly. Having an expert come on campus. So there's all different kinds of research that you can do whole group. Um, And we, in our talk, we um, shared six different areas that we found uh, 
the supports could fall under. So one of them is goal-oriented observation. And when we think about goal-oriented observation, what we're thinking about is looking at something and being able to talk about what's happening. And that's hard for our kids. I mean, generating questions can be hard for our kids. Yes, yes. Yep. And so a lot of modeling happens. Um, there's a one, I think one of the uh, misconceptions in an inquiry classroom is that because the teacher is not necessarily like the giver of all the knowledge, that that means they st- are very standoffish. Um, but we are part of the classroom, particularly in the beginning where we're looking at something and we're all wondering together. I mean, especially with if you go back to the chickens and the eggs, I didn't, I had never done that before. So yeah. I have so many questions too, right? Um, and when the teacher is modeling and exploring also, um, it can encourage the kids and they kind of follow your teacher's lead. I really love that because it takes the ownership of learning off of the teacher just downloading information to Mm -hmm. the kids. Mm -hmm. And then also it doesn't give that crutch of, oh, if I don't know something, I just ask my teacher. She knows everything. She's going to give me the information. And it puts a little bit of ownership on the kids of, well, if I don't know something, I'm empowered to figure out ways to solve my problem and figure it out. Exactly. Exactly. You talk about modeling. Can you explain a little bit what that is yeah. and what that looks like? Yeah. So when um, Farmer Mike and Farmer Nicole came in, I had a lot of questions. So I'm modeling um, one of the shifts in inquiry-based learning is the language. So there's a time and a place for asking WH questions, but when those are hard, WH questions is like <laughs> who, who, what, when, when where, why, why. yeah, how. Uh, um, when you're asking your kids that, if you're reading a book and you said, okay, what what happened? Um, it becomes like a quizzing. And for our kids, we can often find that they might shut down or they might not understand the language of the question. And so flipping it to instead of that, um, asking things like, well, I wonder – or uh, noticing, so I wonder what pinecone eats. Or I notice that pinecone has brown feathers. I've never seen a brown feathered chicken before. Just thinking out loud so that the kids are like, oh yeah, it's okay to be thinking about these things. And um, now I'm tuning into my own thought process and I'm noticing that I'm wondering some stuff also. Mm-hmm. I remember when um, Inquire Ed came to give us some training and um, I was in that um, professional development and they started with here are some facts now generate questions and yeah. I really struggled yeah and I you know I don't have a language delay that's been diagnosed <laughs> and I could not come up with questions yeah. but once other people started sharing their, their ideas. own ideas and their For own sure. questions then I was just writing down tons of questions but once I had that model or that example I was able for sure to really kind of go deeper and ask a lot more questions yeah um so most of the strategies that I can talk about um have to do with uh, the language behind and supporting asking being able to ask questions yeah so when we talk about goal-oriented observation being able to look at something and think about what's happening in order to ask questions you have to think about what you know about what's happening in the picture and then think about what you don't know so you know how to ask questions um one of our favorite ways in my class to do it is the new york times picture of the week it's free and it's awesome they take a picture that's been in their newspaper from some time in history as long as the new york times newspaper has been around and you ask questions you say um what do you think is happening in this picture 
what do you see that makes you say that? And can you find anything else? And the pictures are weird. And they're weird on, <laughs> they're weird on purpose because it's way more interesting to look at. There was one where it was a bunch of policemen walking down the street during the um, the big nuclear scare. scare, And they're wearing uh, what look like trash bags oh. because apparently that would protect them from radiation yes. naturally. Um, but so there's a big <laughs> – there's a picture of them walking down the street and it's in black and white. And it's in the middle of New York City. And so it's it's weird. There's lots of questions that you could ask. It's not like kids playing on a playground. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes the teachers, when the picture pops up, were like, what? You know, and so we're curious and they're all curious. And um, yeah, they can start to ask questions. And I'm actually, su- they surprise me a lot of times that once they get going, the things that they'll notice and make connections with, like, oh, the buildings. Or I see um, one of them was had a trolley cart and someone had been to New Orleans and had seen it there. And so they can make all these connections where they might not be able to figure out what's happening, but they can start to notice, make meaningful connections with their own knowledge to what's happening in the picture. Which is a skill that sometimes for kids with language and learning difficulties need to be directly taught is how to find something in what you're thinking about and make a connection to your personal life to build in those connections of wondering and figuring things out. And okay, it's, the same but it's also different what's the same yeah what can I learn about this to make a connection but it's different so what can I wonder about what questions do I have yeah um and another example is we have the astronauts which is a primary class um come to my classroom on Fridays and we were playing Houston Monopoly this morning and there were four different bayous instead of the railroads. And one of the astronauts noticed that the symbol was the same on all of them. She couldn't read oh. them, but she noticed that the symbol was the same for all the bayous. And so I read them and I was like, oh, gosh, I wonder what that is. And she said, I don't know. And I said, OK, well, let's get an iPad and we can look it up. And so we looked up White Oak Bayou and um, we were looking at the picture and I said, ooh, I notice buildings. What do you notice? And then we're looking at it together and we're figuring it out together. And then we looked at another bayou and we were talking about what we noticed was the same. So I was like, okay, so if we're thinking about this together, it sounds like a bayou might be a body of water. Do you think it's a body of water? And she's like, yeah. And so we're, but we're researching, right? We're researching what a bayou is. We're talking about bodies of water. And she's learning about her community at the same time. It, it sounds like it's a, such an active process for our children, yeah. opposed to just sitting there passively and being told a yeah. bayou is a body of water, but they're actively engaging in coming to that conclusion exactly. on their own. And it falls under um, and is related to other active learning techniques, so like discovery learning, which is kind of the same thing where you're noticing what is similar, what is different, and um, making like broad observations. Um, project-based learning is also related to it Uh, but yeah you're right these are all active where the student is no longer passive and just like accepting information but they're having um, they have a job in figuring it out on their own that's cool that is really cool what are some of the other techniques that you found help support them yeah so this year was um particularly difficult and so there was more independence in being able to read and research on their own this year I have a pretty large variability in it ranging from kinder to fourth grade which is I think pretty typical for um, parish classrooms people are working on different things and um, 
So note-taking was really hard because last year we could do more uh, typical style notes where we're talking about outlines and we are writing things. But this year we really started to explore visualization. And by visualization, I mean when you hear something being read, what picture are you making in your brain? And um, there was a presentation at a speech conference this year about sketch notes and sketch notes yes. is a very tip, um, mm-hmm. specific kind of note taking but they said that kids who take picture notes over written notes are actually able to recall um, and retain information um, better and so when you think about our kids who have um, working memory issues mm-hmm. and have a hard time retrieving and recalling information being able um, to take that second processing step of if you hear something, making it into a picture and then being able to go back and independently read it. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we're learning about service dogs this year and some of the kids can were taking uh, written notes, but some of the children couldn't independently write. So they were drawing pictures and mm-hmm. I might walk around and say, oh, I noticed you drew a dog here. Tell me a little bit more about what you drew. And they might say... Um, the dog is opening the door or um, is a guide dog. So then I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to label it here for you. And so what I've noticed is the students um, have picked up on how labeling is effective. Mm -hmm. And so now they're adding labels to their own drawings, which is really cool to see. And so then they can go back and independently use their notes instead of looking at a giant list of words that can be really overwhelming. Yeah, and that's one of those executive functioning skills that will last them through adulthood. I know that I had to develop my own way of note taking and figure things out when I was younger and it made me effective through high school and college and even now as an adult. And you're building that in at such a young way. That's a strategy that's going to carry them so far. Yeah, definitely. Stephanie, would you just define executive functioning for us? So executive functioning is all of those skills that help you plan out and organize your thoughts. Your executive functioning (laughs) skills are your brain's way of being an air traffic controller. (laughs) It is figuring out everything that's coming in and what time, what's important, how to organize yourself. It's your memory. It's everything that's happening all at once and organizing it in your brain and getting it to come out like in real time. So your memory is a part of it, your ability to focus on important information and block out not important information. It's your ability to just organize your space, mm-hmm. organize your thoughts, um, figure out what steps to do next and what's important. It's basically everything that you need to do all happening right now. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You've been a teacher here for how many years now? Parish. I always lose count, but I, I think uh, quite a few. I yes. <laughs> and you were a teacher in our in our classrooms before we implemented inquiry based learning yes. into our classrooms. So yes. my question is, what changes have you seen in your students that you believe are happening because of what we're doing now? Yeah, that's an awesome question, and it's the reason why I really enjoy inquiry based learning. So prior to teaching inquiry based learning, um, I felt like I was always searching for ways to make really boring subjects interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I felt like I spent most of my time doing that, most of my planning time. Um, and then often teaching these subjects to kids, they might not retain it or be able to generalize it. 
And so what I'm noticing is when the information is taught in a meaningful contextual way, the kids are able to generalize it more um, and use it in a functional way. Um, And for me personally as a teacher, I find it way more fun. I'm no longer (laughs) spending a lot of my time, like I said, looking for ways to teach, uh, like if we're talking about um, history, right? I'm no longer looking for uh, what I need to teach and ways to make it interesting because I'm going to take the children's lead and we can create experiences and opportunities to research together. Um, and before it was also hard to think about, okay, so I have 30 minutes for science here and I have 30 minutes for social studies here and I have 30 minutes for reading and 30 minutes for writing And I can't go over that time because we have to have all of these subjects taught. The great thing about inquiry-based learning is you can put them all together. Um, So writing and reading is part of functional communication. Mm -hmm. And all of the products in inquiry-based learning are supposed to be public. So we're talking about um, reading, writing, speaking, um, presenting. We just did a play, so acting, making things, um, all of it is uh, communication to others about what you've learned, which is so fun, and they love it. They um, really take ownership over it. Like I talked about the chicken PowerPoint, but then also we just finished a play on Texas history, and, I mean, we spent a week, like two hours every day, practicing and making props, and I don't think that they would have been engaged and taken such ownership over it if it had been the teacher saying okay here's this play on texas history and we're gonna go perform it um and we were reflecting back on it at the end and the kids were so excited they were like i think i really liked this more than having a play given to me and you know i noticed that i couldn't i didn't have to use my script to say x y and z and um i didn't feel scared and just being able to reflect on it more Um, because it was meaningful to them and it was purposeful to their lives. That's awesome. Sounds like it's increasing self-awareness and confidence as well, which is really important for long-term success of our students. For sure. Yeah, Um, and more and more research is showing us that if kids are excited and into something and want to learn about it, and it's in a functional way in the the meaningful context, as you said, it sticks better to them than if they're just having all this information downloaded. It might not be meaningful. It might not make connections on their own inside their brain for it to be able to really stay. Yeah. Um, I've also noticed that behaviors have changed. So um, children who might have a hard time sitting for a long period of time, um, inquiry in general uh, is a it's a dynamic. Mm-hmm. So you're not sitting. You might be getting up and moving. Movement is definitely part of it. Moving from research to direct instruction or if you're having a direct experience. Um, kids will often ask to uh, go back and have the same learning experience over. So, for example, if we're thinking about um, – we were learning about the Oregon Trail and our entry experience was playing the Oregon Trail mm-hmm. and the kids would play it for long after we finished the inquiry unit. Um, not just because it's fun, but because now they have so much knowledge and it makes so much more sense to them. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is true, because that game was available to me when I was younger, <laughs> yeah. and I had no idea what the Oregon Trail was. I know, I know. And so I'd play it, but none of that information yeah. stuck with me. meant nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. just a game. And uh, with the active listening techniques like 
um, note taking. So being engaged in processing the information instead of just like staring off at a teacher, um, their attention is increased. Mm-hmm. There's much less um, off task behavior because there's lot. accountability. Exactly, you're not exactly. just having us tell you about something. You're an active participant in this whole group. Yes. There's accountability to the group to be a member of it that participates. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, the community aspect of it is huge, um, especially because we'll do rubrics, and so a rubric will be generated at least in my class by the students and we'll talk about what our goal is for the day like okay we're going to watch a video on the Oregon Trail and we're going to take notes on it and then we'll come up with a plan so again that goes back to the executive functioning the strategic Mm -hmm. thinking of this is my goal what steps do I need to take to complete it Um, and then what went well and what do I think should go differently. And that's where our rubric comes in. And so if we're thinking about sitting and listening, um, a lot of the social learning that we teach Mm -hmm. here will come in where let's say the speech pathologist has just taught something about whole body listening, um, then we'll include that in the rubric. And so it gives the students um, some accountability like you were talking about, Stephanie, and the opportunity to functionally use the skills that they're being Mm -hmm. taught um, outside of the inquiry units. Um, and so then afterwards they go back and they're filling out the rubric and let's say it's something like I finished my work on time. Oftentimes the answer is no. Yeah. And that's hard, mm-hmm. especially when it's like two or three people that have made it so we didn't finish our goal on time. And then yeah. we'll talk about it, right? Like, okay, well, why didn't we? And what can we do differently next time? And if you're thinking about a student who like is getting frustrated because their pencil keeps breaking and is having a really big reaction, um, we'll talk about that as a community. And so like, okay, this is a problem for you, but let's try and figure out a more um, community-based way for you to solve your problem. So what could you do instead? And instead of the teacher leading that discussion, um, the students can help and have that circle of suggestion and they're now the whole team is problem solving and working together to um, make the community run more smoothly. Yeah, I like that aspect of it being a community. Mm -hmm. Anything else you want to discuss about? about? Yeah, Um, yeah, so assessments was a question we got asked a lot at the two conferences. Because you don't have a curriculum and then check off the curriculum and give them these 10 multiple choice questions. How do you you figure out what they're Mm -hmm. learning? And so one of the um, ways that we have started assessing is um, something suggested by the Harvard Initiative for Learning and Teaching, and it has to do with concept maps. So when we think about concept maps, you've got your main ideas, a bubble in the middle, and then the webs that come Mm -hmm. off of it. And so you can do a pre-assessment for what did you know, let's say we're talking about our service dogs, what did you know about service dogs before? Um, and they'll have the web. And then when you finish your unit and you have all your notes, that's key because if our kids have a hard time recalling, it doesn't it doesn't make sense to then take away all of the information that they've worked so hard to record. Mm-hmm. So it, it, you can use your notes in this in my class um, and then in the other upper elementary class. Um, then you use your notes to then now talk about what you know about the same concept. Mm-hmm. And so afterwards you can sit back and you can count the points and by points I mean different bubbles that come off of it and so you and then you might be able to connect bubbles so if we're thinking about service dogs 
um, a bubble that would come off of it might be kinds of service dogs. And so then you might have like police dogs, um, guide dogs, seeing eye dogs. And then another bubble might be they wear different color vests. And so then you might be able to connect the different service dog with the color vest. Hmm. Um, and so now we're talking about a lot of language relationships, categorizing, mm-hmm. background information. Um, it's really cool. Um, the other upper upper elementary teacher, Heather, she is um, also a speech pathologist. And so when we were diving into this together, for me, from a teaching perspective, it was impressive to see the amount of knowledge that was gained. But then her and Molly uh, Weisselberg, the classroom SLP, they gave that SLP um, perspective of there is a lot more knowledge, but there's also a lot more language, language involved in this. And it was really cool to see the growth from all the students. Yeah, because the best way to learn vocabulary is to make connections with other things that you know yeah, exactly. and categorize it. Exactly. Um, and we use the upper elementary uses um, Kamebu. Uh, which is our communication platform. Mm -hmm. And we use the storyboard to write like a little newsletter about what's happening in the classroom. And that is a great portfolio assessment to see when the kids walked in and they're used to writing, you know, they're like, okay, how many sentences do I have to write? And they're very, (laughs) do I have to do three? Yes. Yes. And they're very short and truncated. Um, We had art, we painted, it was fun. Fun. Yes. It was fun. It was fun. Or or it was cool. Yeah. Um, And now that they have all of these notes to refer back to, we're seeing students write paragraphs about things that they've learned instead of just defaulting to arts and sciences. And for me, when the students defaulted to arts and sciences, instead of talking about what's happening in the classroom, I felt like it's because they didn't feel the same joy and feel the same purpose that they were feeling in the arts and sciences. So for me as a teacher, it makes me feel like I've done my job that they're having fun and they want to share what they're learning and they can share what they're learning. Mm-hmm. And the other neat thing about Cambu is that it offers like a picture cue as well often. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It does. It does. Do you mean like a picture cue for the student so, for yeah, their writing? They have a picture of them actively mm-hmm. involved in that and they can refer back to that and exactly. give some, oh, some exactly. more information yeah. that they can go back yeah. and refer to and it helps them generate more ideas because yeah. once they've gotten used to the n- looking at pictures and noticing and exactly. what they've talked yeah. about, then they can use that and be like, oh, I'm noticing that we did this and oh, I'm remembering now that we did this as well and can help jumpstart yeah, for sure. having longer sentences. Yeah. Um, another form of assessment is the rubrics. And so uh, at the beginning of the year, we often start with the teacher modeling working through a rubric. So, okay, if I'm thinking about whole body listening, this is what I would be thinking about. And oftentimes the students will default to I do everything all the time yeah. just because they've never been asked to reflect mm-hmm. on a 30 or hour minute chunk. That's difficult. And so the teacher would say, okay, well, I remember that – I asked you twice to think about me or stop playing with the carpet or whatever. And so if I'm thinking about that, I don't know if I would say all the time. Do you think you would say all the time? And so just kind of working through what their answer on the rubric would be. Um, Another assessment that we use is um, the pragmatics checklist. So thinking about um, the SLP coming in, observing a lesson. This happened in Heather... Hillary's class, um, where she put a box of cooking materials on the desk and the kids were breaking up into groups and figuring out how to make this cake. And the classroom SLP, um, 
Molly sat in with the checklist and was writing down what she observed. So if she observed them working in groups, if she saw um, specific difficulties when working in a group, if she saw them problem solving, if she saw them um, making suggestions, acting as a leader, all of these uh, really functional ways to communicate and relate and make connections to other humans, which is so important and difficult for our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so we're actively exploring other ways of assessment. I think one thing that's really fun about inquiry-based learning is we have this creativity and whole team approach to where, um, yeah, we can collaborate on ways to support our students all together. Yeah. That's awesome. I yeah. like it. Um, we've been asking all of our guests a question at the end of the episode. If you had one important thing to share with families, a big piece of advice, like oh. an elevator pitch, yeah. what would it be? One thing that I would think about um, is our students will be able to learn most of the things that they want to learn from the internet. And here at Parish, it's really cool because we teach them how to find out the information that they want to know instead of telling them what they need to know. We're building uh, students who love to learn. Yes. And when you love to learn, you can teach yourself anything. And when you have the tools and the strategies to um, learn what you need to know, then, I mean you really can learn anything that you want. So what they're learning here at Parish goes beyond Parish. Yeah, you're developing lifelong learners. Exactly. In children who learning is so hard. hard. Mm-hmm. That's a great thing to foster in all kids. For sure. Well, thank you very much. It was such yeah. a pleasure to learn more Thanks about this. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Jessica. Thank you for listening to the Unbabbled Podcast. For more information on today's episode, including links to Jessica's article on 21st century skills, please see our episode description. For more information on the Parish School, visit parishschool.org. And if you're not already, don't forget to subscribe to the Unbabbled Podcast on your app of choice. A special thank you to Stig Daniels, Katie McCarthy, Amanda Arnold, and Amy Tanner for their hard work behind the scenes. Thanks again for listening.